0: I'm David Clayton, and this is the Way of Beauty podcast conversations on Catholic faith and culture. This is episode 33. I'm with Paul Jernberg. This is the second in our series, and we go more deeply into the nature of sacred music and what distinguishes it from secular music and art or classical music. Okay. I'm here with Paul Jernberg. Very good to have you here, Paul. In this is the second of our. Our podcast together. Um, so uh, without further ado, why don't you just review uh, some of the things that we we covered last time and then we can go a little further I think uh, into the characteristics of, of sacred music. Good,
1: great. So last time we talked about what sacred music is in, in Catholic tradition Right. And we, we looked at the history of sacred music and the different rites, and in our own. We looked at uh, this amazing development across the world as the gospel was preached, and as the church uh, grew in different parts of the world, how we have these many different manifestations of the liturgy. And then, uh, so we try to answer that question, what is, what is the liturgy and what is its music? And then uh, we started looking at some of the different characteristics of that music, um, and I'd I'd like to go a little bit further today. Last week we talked specifically; we sort of focused in on the uh, the teachings of Christ the Tenth, who was is the who has been the most articulate in in uh, teaching about sacred music. So. Um, but I'd like to go f- a little bit further with that today. And uh, so let me know when you want me to start
0: that. No, just carry on? Yeah, I so, want to just, yeah.
1: So, uh, just for uh, the three characteristics that Pope Pius X uh, articulated, which are, very important are first of all sanctity or holiness and these are all meant to be characteristics of 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 sacred music in the roman rite which he says are most clearly exemplified in gregorian chant so holiness is the first one the second one is literally goodness of forms uh, which is sometimes translated as beauty and thirdly universality and we talked uh, last week a little bit about how each one of these is really like a well. It's not it's not something simplistic, but rather he was in 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 uh, listing these three things. He was really observing something that was there. He wasn't innovating. He wasn't saying, "Well, let's." He was saying, "No, looking at this long venerable history of sacred music, these are the things that are, are there." And then, as we look at each one of these things, it's it's fascinating because just think what makes music holy. I think we can talk a lot about that. What gives sacred music its particular beauty or goodness of forms, and and we can go quite a quite a long ways with that. And then finally, the universality. Uh, now, what I'd like to do today is to go is to plunge a little bit more deeply. It, 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 some of the implications of these things, but also some of the things that for Pope the tenth would have been assumed. That, we, that we, today we need to we need to be aware of again because because of our distance from ex- having a deep experience of these traditions, we don't necessarily uh, realize how important certain things are. So. Uh, I would like to talk first about, um, let's see here, the the first thing which we might have touched upon last week a little bit is the fact that sacred music in the Catholic tradition is meant to clothe the sacred text. It's not, uh, you know, today we think of different instruments playing for the liturgy which are can be wonderful, we can think of, of, of different motets or anthems that we might sing that are uh, that are appropriate or not appropriate to the liturgy, but which are, you might say, adornments to the liturgy. The fundamental idea of sacred music in the Catholic tradition is the music which clothes the sacred text of the liturgy. And that is in what we call the ordinary of the, of the liturgy, or the, the ordinary of the mass, which are the parts that are repeated from one Sunday to the next, from one feast day to the next, and then the propers, which are the parts that are particular to each Sunday or feast day, and these these parts are are universal throughout the world. That they're they're given by the Church as the sacred text of the liturgy. So I think particularly in um, after the Vatican Council, the Second Vatican Council, there is a sense of almost anything goes as far as what texts you use. And so there was a particular sense of the losing, especially the propers. But historically, the, the sacred music is, it's united, it's not only clothing the sacred text, you might say it's united, it's one with the sacred text. And as such, this is one of the reasons why our traditions are so important, the traditions of Chan are so important, because they form a unity uh, with, with that text.
0: <clears throat> I'm just gonna just gonna come in there. One little point, just, just listening to that, because um, of course I'm always making comparisons with art in the church, and uh, that's a difference I think between music and art. Because art is not uh, is something that is an alternative presentation of the text, it, and it complements it. But the music is absolutely intrinsic to the, our connection with the text in a way that art isn't, art is essential, it, it, the, the Kurtz is very clear on that, but it, it has a different job to do that works in conjunction with the text. Whereas the music is absolutely connected to it in the closest way, it's governed by it, it's in harmony with it. That's right. Now,
1: there there is a place, of course, for music also that adorns the liturgy. Okay. But That is secondary. (laughs) The primary, you know, the the whole idea is really what I I just mentioned. Um, Now, along with that, that, along with the fact that this music is united to the text is, you might say, obviously, that the music is primarily vocal. And that's a very. This is a very important point. And again, we're not saying that instruments cannot be used. We know that the the, or, the pipe organ is the the instrument that has been uh, set forth by the church as the you might, the the greatest instrument, you might say, in in uh, the liturgy. And that other instruments are allowed as well. However. Uh, they are an adornment. They're not, you might say, at the heart of sacred music. Why is this? Well, it's it's because, first of all, that the music is united to the word, and the word obviously is from the uh, the human voice. But there's also something else here, because uh, whenever, whenever we use... Uh, artificial instruments or any, any instruments created by man such as the organ or stringed instruments or whatever they might be if we when we sing with them there's a necessary adaptation the the organist needs to adapt to the singer but the singer also needs to adapt to the organ and so you actually have um, it, now this this can actually produce some very you know, some amazingly beautiful music of course as we all know you know vocal music that's that's sung with the organ or with the orchestra or with other instruments can be very beautiful but in in terms of the liturgy we have to be careful because the human voice being united to our person being part of us you might say it even is us <laughs> that that it gives us an intimacy and a freedom that we don't have with uh, other instruments that are outside of us. The human voice is connected, it's connected to our heart, our soul, our mind. It's, it's, it's part of us. And therefore when we sing with the voice by itself, there's a freedom, there's an intimacy there that is very important. And that is, has traditionally been at, you know, this has been one of the traditional, criteria of sacred music, East and West. The fact that the organ has been allowed and promoted and other instruments have been allowed, you might say is a concession, because um, they, it, it, Pope Pius is very clear on this in saying that, he even says that when the organ is used, it should only be as a, uh, something like a discreet support for the voice and i mean you can hear this if you listen especially for example listen to your grand chant with uh, without any accompaniment and then listen to it with accompaniment there's a very noticeable difference and for the person who sings it it's even it's it can be even jarring and and, and very difficult at times because that that instrument and now i know there are exceptions i've heard some uh, in in fontgombo for example in france a uh, benedictine monastery they do use very, very discreet organ, and it's very beautiful. Uh, but generally speaking, there there's you have to be very careful when we add instruments to the voice. So, um, so anyway, if this is the second thing I wanted to say, sacred music is primarily vocal. Uh, now, going beyond that, uh, we can say that there's also what I might call an essential simplicity about sacred music. Um, Now, this does not mean simplistic. In other words, you can listen to um, chant and sacred chant and polyphony that are are rather sophisticated, but there's still uh, boundaries within which this sophistication is kept. Why? Because by its nature, it's meant for, number one, uh, the participation of people all around the world it can't it it's not it can't be something that only a select few can do it has to be have enough simplicity a noble simplicity so as to be uh, accessible mm. and, and so and we can see this today when we go beyond a certain point of, of simplicity then we. We start losing the ability. It's it's only for a select few, and that's basically contrary to the Catholic of liturgy.
0: Now, you you when you say it's only for a select few, you're talking about singing, or or actual actually singing, because this is a contentious point, isn't it? With some, um, that I I'm I'm with you on this. I, I think that uh, a participation people will differentiate between internal participation and external, and they say that this emphasis on singing is too much of an emphasis on the external, and that congregations could be content to listen. Now, yeah, yeah. No, but... now clearly there's, both of those points are, are right, but I am with you in thinking that the balance has to be much more towards uh, the singing of the liturgy by the congregation, uh, because it is through the external that the internal follows very often. Is, is that fair? Well, I
1: th- I'd like to go, um, I'd like to make some nuances here into oh, what you yeah, just said. I as her, yes. yeah. um, first of all, you know, the, the great commandment, love the Lord your God, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yeah. It, 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 it both the exterior and the interior. And I think clearly, I mean, it's, it's it seems obvious just with a little bit of reflection that the exterior need to be at the service of the interior. Yes, but does the mean that the exterior don't count. It just it, 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 they need to be in harmony, and there needs to be a clear hierarchy there. Yeah. Um, in terms of singing, I would I would say I would put it this way that there are certain parts of the mass which are um, which. Are appropriate for the congregation to sing, and to sing those parts is an important can be an important element in serving their interior uh, participation in the mass. So that, um, in other words, if when I, if you have the congregation singing the the Lord have the Kyrie and the Gloria and so forth and so on, it can be a powerful way. That they are drawn in to the interior uh, dimension of the liturgy, and as such should not be despised i think there's a danger here of 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 you know going to one extreme or the other but um so i would say there are many parts and particularly the ordinary of the mass that are totally appropriate and and beneficial for the the congregation to sing now on the other hand, there's this whole aspect of, uh, of what I call the antiphonal principle, which is uh, what I mean by that is that there's this aspect in the liturgy of different uh, people singing at different times that form a mosaic within the liturgy. So obviously the priest is going to be singing his parts on his own.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We're, not, we're not meant to sing the priest's parts. The deacon has his parts much more so in the Eastern liturgies. Uh, the congregation has their parts, and I would say the choir also has their parts. So, if if we limit the music uh, that we do for the liturgy to what the congregation can do, it, there's a there's a real danger that we get dumbed down at a certain point. So, I would I would say that there are there are important parts of the liturgy that we it is appropriate for the choir to be singing and for the congregation to listen. Um, but, and this is an important uh, qualifier, that when that music is sung by the choir, it has the a, a quali- a quality of being able to resonate strongly in the congregation, right? So rather than simply being admired as a beautiful work of art, you know, from a distance, <laughs> because I would say the point of that choral music is to stir people to draw them into into the liturgy more deeply and so if it's simply something distant that is admired i would question if it's fully uh, fulfilling its role
0: and so th- there's a different sort of accessibility here this is so it has to be accessible to me the, the in the congregation as a listener in other words I have to be able to hear it and understand the words probably hear hear what they're singing and also the form of it has to be something that um, an ordinary person is likely to use the word resonate to uh, to respond to whilst not contravening the all these essential characteristics that you describe
1: that's right that's right, David. And I, I think that um, yeah, this aspect of resonance, as I see it more and more, is something essential. And it's it basically gets down to, and I'm jumping a little bit ahead here in my, my thoughts, but um, that the love of God and the love of neighbor are inextricable from one another. So that it, when I'm in my worship of God, of course, my focus is theocentric. But at the same time... I need as, as a music director or as a singer. My singing is not simply; ign- it's not uh, uh, despising how people, re- but rather it is it is attempting to draw everyone into this worship of God. Mm. And I, that, I think so. For in order to do that, a music director needs to be aware of this aspect of resonance and ask the question: Is this piece of music? Is this is this something that's just that I think is beautiful and it will be admired and, and everybody will see how beautiful, or is it not only that but is it is it really having an is it is it resonating is it is it is it connecting with people is it helping them to uh, enter into the the reality of the liturgy
0: yeah now I'm going to make an argument here I hope for, for the composer. <laughs> um, and it's based upon my experience recently of Eastern liturgies as well and observations of the, of the Roman rite, so both, seeing both. So that um, this point about trying to get congregations to sing the ordinaries, which is yes. it seems to be appropriate to me, when you have the, uh, the Gregorian chant uh, selection, on the whole, it's... If you follow the suggested format, you know you have Mass nine for Mass, you know Kyrie nine for. It, it's basically it's too complicated for most congregations. So what they tend to do is go for just this, have maybe Mass eight. The, the uh, Missa Adangelis is it? Uh, they they will just do that every week, um, and so I. So the, the difficulty is that because the um, it's complicated. They stick with one, and then it becomes dull. It just because every week you're doing the same one. Right. Uh, Eastern church, what you have is a cycle of eight. They just have a rotating cycle of eight, and but the important thing is of, of for the ordinaries. So the troparia they they call, uh, and that each one is in a different the equivalent of their mode, the different keys. Right. And they rotate through them. Um, in an eight-weekly cycle, and the congregations therefore get enough variation so that it, it's they're not singing the same thing every week, but enough repetition so that they can learn it. And then those um, ordinaries, if we can call it that, are both relatively simple, but also they are beautiful so that they're interesting enough to sing and it just works beautifully. Now, I would say that we need something like that now. We don't have those ordinaries that resonate, that enough variety that is accessible to sing, in the way you describe, that is modal, or at least participating in those qualities that you describe. Yeah. Um, and so that there is a there is a, a need for the composer today who is working within that tradition, and that perhaps what we have that um, in all these um, Gregorian masses that that's appropriate for a monastic community who are singing this every day and learning this every day, and for them it is part of, they are participating they're all singing that, but in a parish you need something different, so. How do you respond to that? <laughs> well,
1: I would I would say that, that you're you're uh, echoing the the call of the the council fathers, the Vatican Council fathers, who said that this is what we need. That we really that they they called on composers as well, especially in musicum sacrum the uh, the post-conciliar document. But that there's this clear call that composers need to. Compose new music for the liturgy that is in organic continuity with with the tradition, but which meets present needs so now uh, This is what one of the things that motivates me and I and I realized that The thing the part of the problem here is that people have experienced if I can say it with all due respect People have experienced so much junk Yes that (laughs) without being you know against any person here any but but really the thing is that the reason why it's uh problematic one of the reasons is because it doesn't have that organic continuity it's got it's gone off in its own direction and uh and so that it, it it doesn't have the sense you're talking about the the there's a clear sacred i assume that in the in the eastern rite which you're talking about there's a clear sacred sense that this 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 music is sacred it, it's it yes. fits. It, it's it's connected with the history of the church it's connected with with the worship that's going on in the liturgy throughout the world in our most of our parishes today in the roman rite you don't sense i mean so so yes i agree with you this is a real clear call to composers and and I this is a lot of, of my my own work or what I'm trying to do is to uh, compose work that does have that sense of continuity and uh, yeah, I think, I think it's great and I, and the idea of, of very I think the idea of variation, which you brought up you know from uh, Sunday to Sunday or season to season is a very important one, uh, that in, in there's in fact, there's so much. It needs to be done by composers it's, it's big there's a lot to be done. but but i th- i think that th- these these are important principles that you're talking about yes
0: yeah and i and the, the other point is that there are also those um uh propers particular to the sunday which generally are just sung by the choir or the cantors so that they have exactly this pattern you describe um and uh, the emphasis for the cantors is that everything has to be understandable by the congregation, that uh, in exactly the way you describe everything you're talking about is what I've heard the pastor at this Melkite church I go to say is right. necessary. Yeah. yeah.
1: Now, I would just add one thing there, and that is the fact that having sung quite a bit of Gregorian chant and sacred polyphony over the over the decades, uh, I, I can say that there there is something to be said for the the music the message of the music itself so to speak yes in other words when we sing palestrina or we sing, there is something about that music that people that that, that is mysterious but somehow has a power to it to inspire people to pray okay having said that though i uh, i think that we need to always strive for the understanding as well and um, yeah so that it's truly with our you know the the loving worship of god with our heart mind soul and strength saint paul says you know i pray with my spirit i'll pray, pray with my mind as well i think it's an important principle
0: yes okay so um what's next we've got to the simplicity uh, so rhythm i think is the next point go on yeah
1: no, we got one more and it's okay. gonna sound like simplicity, but it's a little bit different, in which I they okay. call modesty or us or even austerity.
0: Oh, ah, okay.
1: And so and this one is what this means simply is that even in a, even in simplicity, you can do things that are sort of showy or it, music secret music should never be drawing attention to itself by its virtuosity or by its special effects or whatever because so because the the its role is always to point us to to the word but and then in, to this communion with with god so so f- for that reason we have th- this is uh, i would say this is one of the problems with some of the great uh classical music art music that is that is sometimes uh, done in the context of the mass which is everyone recognizes this is great music and even that it's very inspired and inspiring music but the danger there that we always need to be aware of is that when the music starts drawing attention more to itself than to the mystery it's meant to serve mm-hmm. there can be a problem so but this is what you see, you see West, and West in tradition is there's this certain modesty or austerity that is that is drawing people into something greater than the music itself so um, the next point I'd like to bring up is that of rhythm okay. and this is also important because just as we mentioned that the music is meant to be at the service of the word th- this sort of flows from that principle because in other words you looking particularly at chant, that in Gregorian chant and other kinds of sacred chant, uh, as well, the the, uh, the rhythms are not preconceived ones that the words need to fi- fit into. It's the other way around. In other words, the the rhythms of the music, the rhythms of the chant, need to complement and fit into the rhythms of the word. So... Now, this might seem a little bit cryptic to some people, but just to explain. For example, most music today that you hear, whether it be po- classical or popular or folk music, or whatever, you have a very you have a very clear tempo, and you and often you have very clear subdivisions, uh, rhythms and subrhythms that are that are you might say a uh, a work of art in themselves. That then the the words are they fit in there. They're meant to fit into this this. Uh, musical structure. Um, and that can be very beautiful. I mean, there's, there's not something wrong with that in its set proper secular context. But traditionally in the, in the sacred, uh, in the context of the liturgy, these rhythms are, are there's a, a flexibility and a malleability that allow the rhythms to fit the word. And that doesn't mean that the the chant is exactly the same rhythm as the word would be but it's oriented towards the word the, these this rhythm and th- th- we could this could we could spend a lot of time just on this mm-hmm. subject and i don't want to go too far but it's a very important point and it's something that you typically uh today in the compositions that are done it's it's uh not all that frequent that you find composers who are entering into this idea of of the kind of rhythm and meter i mean there's basically it's basically unmetered is the the, the chant our uh, or free meter and this when it when you, when it's done this way these rhythms are done in this way when oriented towards the word it it has a more contemplative effect you might say it's it it, it it helps people to enter more into the word rather than the the rhythm and, and tempo of the music.
0: Yes, and, and if I'm hearing this right, there's a subtle distinction here. It's neither strictly rhythm rhythmical or utterly bound to the natural, the, simply the rhythm of speech. You're saying that the music has its own influence and there's an interplay between the two, but it's the 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 shift is towards the rhythm of speech rather than the. That's right. I like, that.
1: I like the way you said that because it's true. Because it's it's there are um, yeah there there's definitely rhythm in sacred music yes. and especially as we get into polyphony and then then you need to have a certain uh, tempo and and excuse me a certain meter but even there. The tendency is, is always it's always oriented towards the word rather than a strong uh, rhythmic effect.
0: You might say. Yes. Okay. So, so Great. So the next thing then, uh, what about the sort of modes and melodies you said? Right. Yeah, that's
1: right. So in other words, these two things are very closely related because. Uh, we define the modes today by the relationship to the Do Re Mi scale and um, and how they fit into that. There's in the traditionally in the West and in the East there have been certain modes that have been used for divine worship, and these modes have uh, they help people to know where they're at. You might say when you hear the 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 Gregorian chant uh, being sung in its very mo- various modes, for example, or for that matter, the uh, uh, polyphony, uh, sacred polyphony. There's something about this combination of notes that identify it as being sacred, as being appropriate to the liturgy, and and avoiding confusion in the hearts and minds of those who are listening, and so. And, and in fact, as far as the looking way back historically, for these modes. It's my understanding that their development had a lot to do with particular melodic figures as well. So it's at the beginning, it wasn't as if they look at a piano and say, "Okay, do re mi fa," and I, I'm going to start now on re. I'm going to start now on no. It was more, <laughs> it was much more organic development than that, and a lot of it had to do with different melodic figures that were. Um, that were part of the sacred tradition in which identified this tradition as such. Mm-hmm. And it's quite fascinating to see this, and again, in the different rites of the church and in a different in Orthodox and Catholic that there are, they've developed specific groups of notes and groups of melodic figures that identify where we are and identify what we're doing. And, and if we, So if I, you know, I could give you some interesting examples of modes that would tell you definitely you are not in the liturgy. (laughs) For example, I mean, now, so, for example, um, if I were to do a a blues, I mean, years gone by, you know, I studied and played a lot of jazz music, Uh, not so much, not now so much, but uh, and, and so there's there there are very interesting modes that are used that give that very clear effect, and you know what you do, you know where you're at, so to speak, yeah. <laughs> and you know what it is. And it's not, and it and it can be beautiful. It can be, um, it, it can be exciting and wonderful and a great gift, and, and nothing wrong with it. But it's not, it's not um, the liturgy. And there's all sorts of interesting modes we could explore like that, that, are, that identify secular or sacred. Now, there's overlap, of course, there, there is overlap. It's sort of similar to what we were talking about rhythm, that it, it's, not, uh, necessarily a math, it's not necessarily mathematically measurable all the time. But the tendency is towards modes that, that are in harmony with the, the liturgy and the, the, the history and the whole understanding of the sacred versus secular.
0: Yes. Now, again, I'm just going to throw this back at you to see if I've understood <laughs> what you say. But th- this is the thing that struck me as I-, I started to s- learn to sing it a little bit. I'm certainly not an expert. But it's not simply that the mode, that there are these eight modes, and this is true in the East right. and West, and they're, and they're different um, East right. and West. But it's not simply defining if you like the scale. If, uh, um, it, it within each mode, you might call it the key, or it, it, it's, it's whatever you call it. it. There isn't complete freedom to move within that. It, that's that. even within that, there are patterns of notes which you come across again and again, and almost form the basic skeletal frame of of the melodies so that you get these progressions which you recognize time after time in a particular mode that's right david if it was simply defined as a key there'd be a lot more freedom but you don't you get these recognizable patterns (coughs) and what and the variation is branching out from those core patterns that you get the the, the surprises are when you think oh i've come across this before oh no but basically, there's always enough familiarity in these groupings of notes. So it's more than simply the key or the scale or de- however you want to what you, how you define a, a mode. The relationships of the sharps and flats within the notes or something. Oh,
1: yeah. exactly.
0: that, there are these structures which are familiar and are part of the audio vocabulary.
1: That's right. And that's what I meant by melodic figures. Yes, yeah, exactly.
0: I, I, I picked up that phrase. Yeah, that's what I... Good. Okay. Yeah. Um, And so, historically, those developed first, and then the the technical description and classification in modes came afterwards. They're trying to say, okay, where does this sit? Let's look at this, and um, that seems to go with that, that seems to go with that, this is associated with this, and um, the the music theory is after the fact, it's not before. Is is that right? (laughs) Now I don't know enough about the history to say definit-
1: definitively okay. about that. It is true that the Greeks did have their their modes modal system yeah. before before uh, Christ. So how much theory there was at the beginning, I don't really know that. But um, it is a real organic kind of development. That's I think pretty sure. It's okay. also fun- it's also fascinating, though, to note the similarities in all the different rights, this idea of eight modes. Why, did, why does each one have eight modes? There's something, there's some reality there that's reflected in this. Yes. Um, yeah.
0: I I heard, but I, I, may, I maybe you can't confirm this, I, I don't know if I'm writing, but I heard that what happened was that when they started to write things down, you know, somewhere a little bit before 1000 A.D., that's yeah. when they... Uh, they, they wanted to do it in eight modes because they, they were aware that that's what the Greeks had done and they wanted to... <laughs> so so they were trying to fit it into these boxes. But then that subsequently influenced what they did. So one affected the other. I don't know if that's right or not.
1: I, and I don't know enough about that. It'd be interesting to, to explore that. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah. But regardless, w- with what we have today, what we have is this... Um, th- th- this description that you, you gave us of um, what you might call eight different modes, the keys scales, um, but within them, th- there are set patterns, melodic patterns. Is that the phrase you use? Melodic phrases. That That's right, David. Again, That's right. They become the basic now, building blocks.
1: Um, I think the the important thing I'd like to bring out here was just that there is a clear, uh, there can be a clear sacred character, or there can be a a character that becomes ambiguous. Uh, This is something that um, is exemplified by the eight modes. But I would not say that we're necessarily bound totally to operate with the exact same melodic patterns as they have been before, because this is, um, but I think we need to be aware of them and to respect them and to realize, most importantly, to realize this difference that, this, that, of, that there is a clear boundary between sacred and secular in the, in the modes that we use.
0: Yes. And again, to draw the artistic comparison, um, it's not just what you paint, it's how you paint it. <laughs> the, 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 there are ways of doing things appropriately and inappropriately and sometimes things are appropriate in one place, but not in another it's about the style as well as the content and that's what you're saying is the very structure and uh, of the music itself it, um, is uh, can work with or against the sacred character of the text
1: that's that's so true yeah that's that's very true and I think we need we need today for people to to be thinking about this, and for musicians and composers to uh, to be aware of this this point,
0: very important. Right. Okay. And then, so the the next thing: what about the interior effect that this has?
1: So this one I, I, I put as our last point because yeah. you might say it's objective, but it's nevertheless uh, some things that are that we know intuitively. We are very important and essential, and I would say this is one. So that we um, ultimately, with all these subjects we've talked gee. about, the music needs to uh, have a certain interior effect. We can sense this when we listen to a variety of sacred, traditional sacred music from the East and West again. There's something it does, it meant to do to us, and that if we're open, which it does to us, which, again, draws us in to this interior dimension of the liturgy. I was uh, helped a lot by a friend uh, who, who is from an Eastern uh, Rite Catholic church, who brought up to me two words that they use to, in regard to music, which are really words that have to do with uh, the general s- spirituality as well but the one word is hezekasm, hesychasm h e s y c h a s m mm-hmm. which basically means stillness and these, these are words used in the in the uh, greek catholic tradition uh, catholic tradition and this is a this is an ideal or this is uh, what is thought not only in music but in prayer in general, but it, it's applicable to music, that music should bring us to a, a certain stillness where we are where, where then can go to the next step, which is nefsis, which means basically awareness, to be aware of God, to enter into communion with God, and uh, I think these two terms can be very helpful in terms of, of our sacred music, that we really are, uh, it really is important that we're aware of this interior dimension, and that, that our music, somehow, now, how does music do that? Well, it's, it's hard to, <laughs> to put it in a formula, but I think we, we need to uh, be aware of that in what we're doing. Uh, There's... All sorts of music—that's religious music—that I admire, and I think many people admire—that is might be very inspirational. It might be very exciting. It might be very um, might inspire us even to praise God in a wonderful way. But it doesn't necessarily fit in the liturgy because it's not necessarily drawing us to this place of of, of inner reality of, of of being still enough to uh discern the truth, to, to be aware of the presence of God. Um, this is in contrast to the idea with also with all sorts of kinds of music that you might say they they easily can manipulate us to a certain emotional state or even maybe even in a positive way. You know, we we hear a march and we want to we want to march and we're, we're happy and we're, we're moving along that that's that's a good thing. And we might um we're a waltz, and we want a waltz, and we're, it's, a, it's a, And I love waltz; and it's a wonderful thing. But sacred music, by its nature, it has a different emphasis. It, it has a se- sense of. It's really closely related with, with a sense of the pursuit of truth. And I and I think this is particularly important in our evangelization, because it, to what extent is our music generating good feelings without helping us to really enter into this place of, of stillness and, and awareness. Um, and I think this is this is a tremendous witness for people. I, I, I've talked to people who um, have experienced, for example, Gregorian chant, and we always get back to Gregorian chant because it's sort of the foundation of everything in the West. But uh, that have experienced this and, and have this sense of something profound that's calling to them to truth and calling you, know, so that's, that that resonates deeply. So somehow, our music needs to have this this quality of interiority rather than simply stimulating good feelings.
0: The, what I'm thinking of as you speak here and I I think this would be a nice point to to close for for this week Uh, but what I'm thinking of is is a couple of things, one of course the eastern monastic tradition, they talk of hesychastic prayer and so, um, and I didn't know that that's what the word meant (laughs) stillness, which I'm I'm thinking is uh, similar to the western tradition of contemplative prayer, It's, it's taking that place where you are aware but somehow receptive alert to what god might be saying um so it's not no thought you're you're it's not like an eastern meditation something very different there is an alertness there's an awareness there and um therefore that prayer of that type is in many ways is preparing us which would that would be done outside the liturgy for that liturgical moment which the music is enriching and then the other thing that occurs to me is that i think it's samuel the the, the still small voice you know that that god was not in the raging torrent god was not in the cloud that he was a still small voice but that all the more powerful for that go on yeah no it's elijah, yeah, elijah. But, okay all right thank you
1: but, but samuel had a similar similar experience in the Temple when he heard the
0: voice of God. Oh ah, yes, was, yeah, and he thought it was Eli, didn't he? And he's and, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, but it But that it's that still small voice. There's something that it, the most powerful is that it, it's it's quiet yet powerful yeah. somehow.
1: That's right, and people, I think people are longing for this kind of spirituality to yes. be infused in our music.
0: Okay, and they're I
1: think so. turned off when it's I mean, uh, I think we have the the duty, you might say, to take this very seriously.
0: yeah. and and I, I w- we'll perhaps finish there, but one of the things that I believe very strongly is that um all this searching that you see today, people going to the east, Eastern Medi I, I don't mean Eastern Christianity, I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, Buddhism, even some new agey yeah. stuff, people are after this, but actually Christianity, has the deepest uh, and, and richest offering of this that is possible people are looking for but of course we have to have these living traditions but in the liturgy and outside of prayer and spirituality that form us to receive it and then actually make an offering of it in the liturgy and right. and and it's simply contemplative prayer isn't enough unless you're subsequently going to, to the liturgy and encountering God, and, it's, and, and the liturgy is speaking to us of God in the way that you describe. One then naturally fits in with the other, that the whole Christian life becomes this um, natural inhale and exhale, if you like, that one is, every aspect is enriching the other. Yes. Okay. Uh, Paul, I think we'll finish there. uh, So next time we're going to get into something which is always interesting to talk about, uh, but it's it's the problems. What's going, what's what's wrong now? uh, We'll Uh, talk about that. But even then, I hope we're going to have an optimistic uh, tone. Uh, Oh, very much. Yeah. So, Paul, thank you very much, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. If you enjoyed this episode, then please give us a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others to find it too. Also, if you're interested in delving more deeply into the material that we discuss, you can do a course at the Pontifex University website. That's pontifex.university.